All right, praise God, and welcome to class number four. We are excited to have you with us tonight. We've got a great group in the room. They are full of energy and excitement and love, praise God, and, uh, and that's a good thing, um, praise God. I, I, I made the statement, I think, yesterday morning in class that, you know, I've stood in this room in front of that camera by myself pretty much, you know. Of course, I say that Pam was here with me, but during COVID and that sort of thing, and it's much, it's much more enjoyable with folks in here than without, I promise you. And so thank you for um, your faithfulness and for your attendance uh, tonight. As we begin, I want to, first of all, um, pray for a sister ministry in Trafford, Alabama, um, Eagles Wings Ministries and Love's Crossing uh, Church of God there. Uh, their leader uh, was promoted to heaven on Monday. And... Uh, uh, Pastor Philip Jones, and he has been a, a friend of mine and a, a source of encouragement to me. And um, I know some of the folks there uh, are going through the class with us this year. And so, as we open up class, uh, let's uh, let's pray for them. Father, we um, we just lift Eagles Wings Ministries up to you uh, this evening, Father, um, Lord, uh, Pastor Philip. What a leader! Uh, what a what a man of God! He followed hard after you. He loved like you loved, and Lord left a legacy of, of faith and and um, an example, Lord, for other generations to look to and follow. I thank you for being with this precious wife and their family and the family of faith there, Lord, at Love's Crossing. I thank you, Father, for the presence of your Holy Spirit, strengthening them, comforting them, surrounding them, Lord, with, with good people who, who love you and who love Pastor Philip to uh, help them through this difficult time. I thank you for the peace of God that passes all understanding, Lord, to guard their hearts. I thank you, Father, that uh, this ministry will, will not uh, uh, sputter out and come to an end, but, Father, uh, it will flourish and that you'll, you'll raise up new leadership, Father, to, uh, to take the helm and to continue to serve uh, the people that you love and that Pastor Philip loved, and we just thank you for that, Father. Uh, Lord, tonight as, as we begin this class, I thank you for the Holy Spirit. We acknowledge him as our teacher. We humble ourselves and submit ourselves to his leadership. He is leading us and guiding us into the truth that you have prepared for us tonight. I thank you, Father, for hungry hearts. I thank you, Father, for the difference that that makes uh, in this transaction, Father, of, of your word breaking through from spirit into uh, time and, and space. And, Lord, I thank you for the impact and the effect and influence, Lord, that it's having upon our lives now. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Praise God. All right, let's, um, let's do a little bit of review tonight. I think we did this last week, but didn't get much further than these first few slides. Matthew chapter 11 and, um, and verse number 28. And by the way, let me, um, let me just comment again that the, the title slide is the same as last week's because we never really got to the, to the title material. We wound up um, talking a lot about the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and I uh, appreciate some of the questions and comments that, that we had from those in attendance. And uh, anyway, I hope that that's still something that's fresh in your heart and mind, something that you're seeking God about and, and desiring to step up into. Amen. But Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, 29, and 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from the New King James, learn of, and that's a more accurate translation, learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we see a pattern in this passage that we will continue to refer back to as we move forward in, in future classes. And that pattern is come and I'll give, uh, learn 
and you will find, learn, and you will discover. And so you come to Jesus, he gives you rest, but you've got to let him teach you. You've got to learn of him, learn of his, his nature, learn of his character, learn of his personality. It's very difficult to trust somebody you don't know. It's very difficult to act in boldness and confidence on what someone says that you've barely met, okay? And so obviously faith is acting with boldness and confidence on what God has said. But if we don't really understand his true nature, his true character, his true personality, it's going to be very difficult for us to ever act uh, in faith with boldness and confidence on what he says. You can't trust what somebody says more than you trust the person who said it. And so it's in this relationship of being yoked together, joined together with Jesus, doing life together with Jesus, that we learn of Him, not just from Him or about Him. We certainly need to learn from Him. We certainly need to learn about Him. But learning of Him deals with that intimate aspect of, of knowing Him and, and becoming familiar with, with Him and who He is, okay? And so it's as we learn these things that we experience what's already given to us, what already belongs to us. Amen. And I know for some folks, maybe not you guys and gals, but for some folks that's a, that's a very difficult uh, concept to grasp initially because we've been raised in a world that says if you don't have it in your natural physical possession, then, then you don't have it yet. If you can't see it. You know, if you, if you can't uh, go deposit it in a bank or, or what have you, if it, if it doesn't look or seem or feel like we have these things, then we don't have them. But yet that's not how things work. And we'll, we'll, a lot of this will open up more for you when we get to the part about spirit, soul, and body. Uh, See, so you're a three-dimensional being that um, you are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. We'll two and a half, maybe three classes just on that one thing I just said there in six seconds or less, okay? Um, but we're a three-dimensional being, and yet most people think and live as if they're one-dimensional instead of three. And so a three-dimensional being, you can possess something in your spirit but not experience it in your flesh, okay? Right? Remember the spirit, soul, body, okay? Um, and so this is such a beautiful discipleship verse because this word learn is the word from which we get our the word, the English word discipleship. It's the uh, word manthano in the original language, and it means to put forth an intense effort to learn by experience. So discipleship involves experiential learning, not just classroom learning, not just, you know, Jesus taught. He would set large crowds of people down, and he would speak to them and teach them. So we're not saying that is that part isn't important or necessary. But what we are saying is that if we only hear and never do, never act upon what we're uh, hearing from the Word of God and from the Holy Spirit, then it'll never become experience for us. And so when the pressure's on, we tend to go with what we have experienced, not what we've heard, okay? Not theory, but again, that concept of empirical, something that's been proven to us. So now we come to this next word, didasco, and it corresponds with manthano, which is the highest form of learning. The highest form of learning is to put forth an intense effort to learn by experience. One who uh, teaches uh, a disciple who is a a master, I know that's kind of not a popular word today, but it's a Bible word, all right? One who is a, a master at their trade, a master electrician, a master craftsman, okay? Um, they would have a journeyman under them that they would impart what they know and, and what they can do uh, to them. We still have that concept and those terminologies in our uh, modern vocabulary. But 
didasco is teaching for the purpose of assimilating oneself into those being taught. In other words, assimilate there means to make similar. So Jesus, Luke 640, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Jesus said the disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Now, <clears throat> last week we looked at Romans 8 where our predetermined destiny was to be conformed to the image of His Son. For every one of us to be just like Jesus is to the Father, love with the same love that the Father loves Jesus with. And, and so when we talk about Him making us like Himself, this shouldn't be a foreign concept to us. It is to a lot of people, uh, but it shouldn't be a foreign concept to us because it was the plan from before the beginning. First John four seventeen, love's been perfected among us in this that we have, uh, may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Okay, so let's um, <clears throat> let's go to First Timothy chapter two and verse four. First Timothy chapter two and verse four. And one of the things that we also need to understand about discipleship is discipleship is Father's way of bringing his children to the knowledge of the truth, bringing his children to the knowledge of the truth. Now, I really, man, I. Don't discount what I'm about to say. This is, this is uber important, okay? I know I'm kind of flowing here to try to uh, make up for a little bit of time that we, uh, you know, didn't get to last week, some of the material we didn't get to last week. But this one verse, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, speaking of God who desires, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He desires all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, in times past, I heard this verse backwards. And just hear me out on what I'm saying here. I thought coming to the knowledge of the truth meant being saved. And there are a lot of saved and born-again people in the world who have not yet come to the knowledge of the truth, meaning there are um, still all kinds of really important things that they don't know or understand. It doesn't mean they're not saved. It doesn't mean they're not born again. Uh, the classic you know, question is, you know, uh, will they go to heaven when they die? Yes, if they're born again, they've been born a, a second time of God's incorruptible seed, uh, they'll be there. But it's one thing to be saved. It's another thing to come to the knowledge of the truth. And do you understand what I mean by I used to see this verse backwards? I thought, okay, somebody comes to the knowledge of truth, and they walk the aisle, and they get saved, and they get baptized in water, and they're saved. But it doesn't work that way. Practical experience tells us it doesn't work this way. We get born again. Amen. We receive Jesus. We receive this gift of salvation. We're washed in His blood and we become a new creation in Christ Jesus. But we're babies. We're as spiritual infants that need to be taught, that need to learn, that need to grow, that need to be trained. So He desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So discipleship is Father's way of bringing His children to the knowledge of the truth. There are things that we do not know that we need to know, things that we, that we do not understand that we need to understand. Think about it in your own life, something you know now that maybe you didn't know six months ago, maybe you didn't know six days ago, but you know it now. Your eyes have been opened to the truth and the impact that truth is now having on your daily life reality. Anybody? Amen. It's like I'm seeing things now that I didn't see before. Uh, my eyes are being opened to things that, that I was previously blinded to. I'm hearing things differently now, and they're starting to click. They're starting to make sense. Light bulbs are coming on inside of me. And as we come to the knowledge of the truth, 
it enables us to live in the freedom that we were originally given when we were born again. It's one thing to be born again. It's another thing to know how to live like someone who's been born again. And if you struggle in living like someone who's been born again, it doesn't mean you haven't been born again. Amen. It means that you're still as a spiritual baby and it's time to learn. It's time to grow. It's time to get in the yoke with Jesus and let's be about this thing, right? Because he's got a lot of stuff that he needs to teach us and show us. Amen. All right. So again, discipleship, we'll look at these verses here in just a moment, but discipleship involves coming to the knowledge of the truth, right? Jesus said, if you continue my word, you'll know the truth and the truth will do what? It'll, it'll set you free. It'll make you free. It'll enable you to live in freedom. Okay. Now, John chapter 16 and verse 13, Jesus speaking of the Holy Spirit, he says, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. So one of the most important assignments of the, for the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life is to continue the discipleship process that Jesus began with a group of people when he was here on this earth uh, in, in, as a human, as a human being. Remember now, I know you know the story, but let's, let's remember, Jesus is the eternal Son of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. What we celebrate at Christmas time is when Jesus, and I know for some of you, you knew this years ago. I never assume that people understand this, okay? But Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He has always been the Son of God, and He always will be the Son of God. What we celebrate at Christmas is when He became a human being and lived on this earth among us. Okay, So Jesus comes to this earth and he uh, calls disciples to himself. He disciples those men and women. But then he says, it's going to be in your best interest. If we looked at the verses before this, he's saying it's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't return back to my father, I, I can't ask him to send you the Holy Spirit. He says, and when the Holy Spirit comes... He's going to not just be with you, but He's going to be in you. And the Holy Spirit is going to be the one who leads you and guides you into all truth. Amen. Now we see over in 1 Corinthians that in the same way, nobody knows you like you know you. Nobody knows God like the Holy Spirit knows God. And so now you have God the Holy Spirit living in you as a born-again believer by the way, he inspired the Bible that we now have. We could say it this way. The Holy Spirit wrote the scriptures. Who better to ask what they mean than the author of them? Amen. Are you seeing this? And Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would then lead them and guide them into all truth. Jesus also said right before this verse, he said, I've still got so many more things to teach you. Talking to his disciples right there. So many more things to teach you. He says, but you're not able to bear them yet. That doesn't mean that they were unable to take notes and repeat it back. But he's saying that there are things that are above them that they would not be able to... I like to say it this way. They wouldn't be able to take the ball and run with it. Amen. They could hear it, but that doesn't mean that it would affect them or impact them. But he's saying, don't despair. The Holy Spirit is going to come, and he's going to continue the discipleship process in your lives, teaching you things that you don't know, showing you things that you haven't yet seen or understood. Amen. And so this is one of the most important roles of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life today. 
is to continue after we've been born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. Amen. And, and, and he is going to continue to lead you and guide you into the truth. Amen. That will enable you to, to live the life that God created you to live and gave to you when you came to Jesus to receive salvation. Amen. 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 Now, watch this. Let's, let's go to Ephesians 4. We'll look at 17, 18, and then we'll jump down to verse, I guess, 20, 21. But let's go here. This I say, therefore, Ephesians 4 and 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Okay? Um, if, if something is futile, if something is futile, that means no matter how many times you try it, it's not going to produce the result that you want it to produce, okay? If your car won't crank and you think it's the battery and you put a new battery in it and it still won't crank, it's futile to put another new battery and another new battery and another new battery, right? Because obviously something else is, is, is malfunctioning here besides the battery. Does that make sense? So that would be an example, simple example of, of something that is, that is futile. And so he's saying to born-again believers, They've, they've received Jesus, they've received salvation, but notice that they're walking, and, and to walk here means to live their lives on a daily basis as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Now, a Gentile person specifically is a non-Jewish man or woman, okay, someone who is not of Jewish descent. But there's a broader meaning here that I think you need to understand if you've never heard it explained this way, is that the difference between a Jew and a, and a non-Jew is that a Jewish descendant of Abraham in the Old Testament, they had a covenant with God. They had a covenant with God. They had an operating agreement with God where God had promised to Abraham and the descendants of Abraham, uh, this is what I will do for you. You do this. I'll do this. It was all spelled out in very specific terms. Okay, So a Gentile then is someone who is not just non-Jewish, but it's someone who is a stranger to the covenant. You ever heard that expression in the scriptures? In other words, they're, they're on the outside looking in. They're not on the inside. People who have a covenant with God, an operating agreement with God, they're on the inside with God. Someone who does not have a covenant with God is on the outside looking in. So he's saying to, to men and women who have been born again, they have received the gift of salvation from Jesus. He said, you're living like people who have no covenant, but you have a covenant. You're living like an outsider, but you're not an outsider. You're an insider. And why is that? It's because they're living in the futility of their mind. In the one, I think the King James Version says the vanity um, of their mind, the vanity of their own thinking, having their understanding darkened and being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. He's not questioning their salvation. It's very important we understand this. He's not saying these people aren't saved. He's saying they are saved, but they're living like people who aren't saved because they're, they're living out of their own thinking, influenced by this world's thinking. Their understanding is darkened, and because of that, they're being alienated, separated, living as one who does not have the life of God, even though they do. And notice it says, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Okay, now verse 20, he goes on to say, but you have not so, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, manthanoed Christ. There's that word again. You have not so learned Christ, okay, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. 
Now, a significant shift always includes a significant if, and that's a big if right there. See, th he's, he's identifying the, the problem that these folks are having is that they have not been discipled by Christ. They have, they, they're living out of their own understanding, out of their own thinking, which has been darkened, which uh, you know, is, it may sound good, but at the end of the day, compared to God's truth, it's, it's nothing more than ignorance. Okay? And so he's saying, you have not so learned Christ. In other words, it, you didn't get this from, from Jesus' discipleship in your life, if indeed, if indeed you have uh, heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. Well, because of the Holy Spirit, you can still be taught today by Jesus. You, <laughs> Jesus is in heaven. Holy Spirit's in you. And notice what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. He said, the Holy Spirit isn't going to do his own thing. He's going to take of mine and give it to you. He's going to... Let, let's, get, let's get something clear, okay? Jesus came to this earth. He didn't testify. He didn't talk about himself. He talked about his Father who sent him. Yes? Okay. The Holy Spirit comes to this earth. The Holy Spirit doesn't say, here I am, guys, the mighty Holy Spirit of God. Y'all been waiting on me. All right, class is in session. No. Jesus said he won't talk of himself. He'll talk about me. Right? Do you see this? Um, we'll, when we get to the part about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we'll dig into this a little deeper. But, but do you see this mutual love, this mutual affection? Each one drawing attention to the others, not to themselves. Not to themselves. Okay? And so Jesus said the Holy Spirit is, I'm saying this, I'm putting my own translation to it, okay? He's saying the Holy Spirit is not going to come and teach you something new. He's going to take what I've already started teaching you and he's going to continue to teach you the truth. Because who is the truth? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, okay? So because the Holy Spirit is in you, you and I have the opportunity to this very day to be discipled by Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I'm not being funny and I'm, I'm not trying to make a joke and I'm not trying to be falsely humble when I say this, okay? I am not your teacher. The Holy Spirit is your teacher. Amen. He is the one teaching you. If you don't get anything out of this class other than what you hear me say, Amen? Are you following me now? Okay? That's, that's not what we're here for. I'm here to be led by the Holy Spirit, to, to uh, be sensitive to Him, because every group that comes in this, you know, in this classroom and is watching online, it could it'd be different and going through different things. It's like Sister talked about before class, never read her Bible day in her life, asking God for a sign that she's where she needs to be, opened up her Bible, read Esther. Next morning, public reading of Scripture, Esther. Okay, That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. That's, that's, that's how He operates. That's what He does. Amen. And so as we all are growing and maturing and developing together, some further ahead in spiritual things than others in this room and watching online, that's fine because the Holy Spirit, if He's our teacher, the Holy Spirit can meet every single one of us right where we are, amen, with just one person standing up here being sensitive to Him, speaking the Word of God. And some of you have already had this experience, right? You're, you're hearing things as I'm teaching. The Holy Spirit is, is in the background in, in your heart and mind showing you things, connecting things that you've heard, that you've wondered about, questions that you've had. That's what I mean by the Holy Spirit is our teacher. This is how he operates. This is how, this is, this is how all of this works. And, and, it's, and, it's, a, and it's a beautiful thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a powerful thing. Amen. 
I, I can't I can't tell you how many times I've had people come up to me after a sermon, after a class, and say, you know, Pastor Mark, when you said such and such, such and such, such and such, it hit me like a ton of bricks and it, it changed me. It, you know, and, he, and I've got to where I don't even try to correct them. But I didn't say it. I mean, I literally didn't say it. The Holy Spirit said it, right? Um, I, sometimes people put things on Facebook, you know, that, uh, you know, and, and it's kind words. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not offended by it, but kind words. They're like, you know, oh, Pastor Mark Winslow, when he said blah, and they give this whole long thing of what I said. I've never said the day of my life. I mean, it's good. I'm glad they heard it. They didn't hear it from me. They heard it in a class where I was teaching from the Holy Spirit. Amen. So this is, amen. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you, amen, that, you know, it's like Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away and the Holy Spirit comes. Can you imagine these men who had walked away from their businesses, who had sacrificed so much to, to follow Jesus and be his disciples now for three years? And three years into this, Jesus is like, look, guys, I don't know how to break this to you, but I'm about to be slaughtered. I, I mean, it's, it's going to be gruesome. Don't worry, though, I'm going to be raised up from the dead on the third day, and I'm going to return back to my Father. But it's to your advantage that all this happens, because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit can't come. And when He comes, He's going to be in you forever, and He's going to lead you and guide you in all truth. And I'm sure they're looking at Him like, no, 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 Jesus, we, we want door number one. We, we're not sure about door number two, right? I mean, let's just keep it as it is right now, okay? I don't know about this to our advantage. But you realize if Jesus is saying this, if Jesus is, think about now what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying to you and me, you are better off with the Holy Spirit inside of you than for me to still be on planet Earth as a, as a human being. Okay? So that's the advantage that we have. The devil never wants you to understand that advantage. The devil never wants you to take advantage of that advantage or get the most out of what the Holy Spirit has been put inside of you to do. But again, he will lead you and guide you in to all truth and you you know like it's like Ephesians 4 you know I don't know how old these people were I don't you know we're several years after the earthly ministry of Jesus we're in a different part of Asia we don't you know we don't in other words he's the easy thing to say would be that these people heard Jesus teaching he's on this earth as a man but they weren't listening or they weren't paying attention I do not think that's what he's saying here you're thinking how could somebody who never said in one of Jesus's public meetings learn from him but clearly we see that that is a key part of what discipleship in 2023 is all about, okay? So remember, discipleship, I've said this over and I've said it different ways. We'll keep on saying it. Discipleship is finding out who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Discipleship is not about becoming something you're not. And, and I'm not saying that we won't experience things that we haven't experienced before, potential being released that, that we've never had released in our lives before. And I'm sure it will give us, and I've certainly had the sensation of, you know, I've become something different today, okay? But, but it's really not that I've become something different. It's who I've always been in Christ is, is being more and more manifest in my outward reality as I'm being taught by the Holy Spirit. I, I pray, I pray, I pray that you understand that. And again, it's a, it's a challenging concept for a lot of people to understand, but just hang in there with it. Amen. And the more we talk about it, the more 
I think it's going to be established. And the word is seed. You know, it's like we're planting this for a lot of people. Uh, some of you already heard some of these truths and concepts. Well, now we're watering it. If you've heard it before, we're just watering it. And, and But God gives the increase. Amen. God gives the increase. All right. So um, John chapter 8, verse 31, uh, it says, uh, Then Jesus said to those Jews who uh, believed him, If you abide in my word... You are my disciples indeed. Okay? To those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Okay? We're going to talk a little bit more about these people. If you're familiar uh, with this account um, and what most people know about John 8, uh, 30, 31, those verses, is these passages the truth will make you free is what a lot of people know okay uh, but but they leave out the abiding in my word and being his disciples indeed he said if if you abide in my word you are my disciples indeed and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free right so it's it's abiding in the word is how we come to the knowledge of the truth that enables us to walk and live in freedom amen am i confusing you Yes, you still with me? Everybody good? All right, okay. So let's get to this then. Discipleship is an uncommon commitment. Discipleship is an uncommon commitment. When I say an uncommon commitment, you know, how do you know what a common commitment is compared to an uncommon one? And what we see in Scripture 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, um, let me just run through these right quick, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, he says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things, disciplined in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable one, right? So we're not, we're not looking for a trophy uh, or, a, or a, uh, you know, they put those green um, in the early Olympics, right? They put those wreaths on their head, but that green, uh, whatever that was, I don't know what plant it was. Is it a laurel? I'm not sure. Laurel? I think it's called, I don't know. Obviously, it, it would go from green but perish because, you know, obviously separated from his life source is going to die, okay? Um, but he's saying that what we're doing, the, the commitment that we've made is, is not for a crown that perishes but for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. So think of a boxer like shadow boxing, okay, that's really not even, you know, facing an opponent. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Okay? So when we talk about discipleship as an uncommon commitment, one of the things that we see in Scripture is that the Apostle Paul compares discipleship and running the race that is set before us to the commitment made by a world-class athlete. And, and we know uh, Tom Brady would be an example. 
some consider him to be the greatest quarterback of all time. I'm not here to make that case or deny that case. But if you understand anything about that man's discipline and, and he attributes uh, the discipline that he uh, lived his life with to his ability to continue to play quarterback at a very high level, uh, well, uh, you know, past the number of years that most men are able to play that position, okay? So when we talk about this uncommon commitment of discipleship, remember we identified discipleship as people who are willing to give God a place in their lives that others aren't willing to give Him. This is related to that. It's the commitment that we're willing to, uh, to make, amen, because remember the intense effort associated with learning by experience. Uh, here's a kind of a thought related to this. No one's ever won a championship by taking a path of least resistance and remaining in their comfort zone. You don't, you don't win the, you know, the, the world champion, whatever it is, um, by the path of least resistance and taking the easy way out. So Paul, by the Holy Spirit, was considering the uncommon commitment world-class athletes make to compete for a crown that perishes. Okay. Now, here's an interesting verse from one of the most interesting parables that Jesus ever delivered to us. It's in Luke chapter 16 and verse number 8. And it says this, So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And it would take a long time to fully explain and expound upon this whole parable. But if you're familiar with the unjust steward, he was cooking the books and skimming and he got caught. And he went to all the different creditors to arrange deals with them, right? Cut their bills in half, basically, so that when he got fired, he would have someone to, uh, to turn to. Uh, because they had basically been in cahoots with him. Jesus is not um, endorsing embezzlement here in all of this, okay? But he shared this parable to make a point, okay? And when it says that um, he commended, the, ma the master here is, is, is not Jesus, it's, it's the, uh, the employer, if you will, okay? Boss man, commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly, all right? But here's the point that Jesus was making for you and me, and I'm saying all this in abbreviated fashion to get to this one point, and if you're dialed in, you'll get this point, okay? He says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light, okay? What is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about the commitment and sacrifice people in the world are willing to make in order to get what they want, the lengths that people will go to, the angles that people will work, the loopholes that they will search out, um, the, uh, the immense effort that, that they will put into their system, getting the most out of the world system, getting the most benefit out of the world system, how to prosper in the world system, on and on and on, right? So what Jesus is saying is that, that the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. So what is he saying? He's saying that the commitment and sacrifice people in the world make in order to get what they want, okay? But when those same people come into the kingdom, 
when those same people come out of the world into the kingdom, they are lazy and lack motivation to go after the things of God with the same intensity. Are you following me? Now, I'm sure nobody in this room, but you probably know somebody that stayed awake three days in a row chasing after <laughs> God only knows what. I mean, think about it, right? You know, stay up. I mean, it's nothing. It was nothing to never sleep a wink on Saturday night, right? Nothing to, 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 to you know, I'm, I'm talking about big money, thousands and thousands of dollars, uh, working every angle, every, every uh, loophole, every scheme imaginable. Um, I had a man tell me one time, and, and, and just to show you, he was very young, had already been to one recovery program in his early teens and he actually thought he came up with this he told his mom and his grandmother that he owed the dope dealer money and that if he didn't pay them they were going to come and get him now he thought he thought that was the most original thing in the world he had no idea that people been telling that lie working that <laughs> angle for years and years and years because it was, right but notice now what is he doing he's he's every kind of I mean, just working overtime in his mind, in his imagination, in his creativity, right? Okay? So th this is what Jesus is saying. More shrewd in, in the, the kingdoms of this world, but now we come in, into the kingdom of God, and, and, you know, one service on a Sunday morning is too much to ask a week, you know. We ain't got $5 for God. I'm, I'm just, I'm, amen. Maybe not anybody in this room, but th see, this is what he's talking about here. The commitment that we made to going after our flesh and the satisfying of our flesh and the things in this world system to get what we wanted from that system. Now, so we come into the kingdom of God and we just kind of put it on you know, cruise control and let the rough end drag. And if God wants me to have it, he'll figure out a way to get it to me. And, and no passion, no desire, no commitment, no effort, no willingness to, to pursue, to diligently seek. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, Hebrews eleven six 6 says, right? So Jesus is, is pointing out um, this disparity. And listen, I, I'm, not, I don't, I'm not trying to be, you know, that guy, all right? You understand what I mean by that guy, you know, wagging finger. And, and, uh, but I am asking you to think and consider, right? Um, I've had people... You know, tell me, look, Pastor Mark, I'm sure that discipleship class is good, but it's not for me. I, I can't sit still for two hours, right? And then talk about the movie they went to last weekend. <laughs> then talk about standing in line four hours to get in a game, a ball game that lasts three hours. Now, listen, I'm not, I'm not preaching against movies. I'm not preaching against athletics or any of that stuff, okay? If, if you enjoy that sort of thing, then... Amen. Go for it. I'm not. Amen. I like to watch football at home. You know, I, my food's cheaper and better. Amen. But I don't have to drive or pay to park in my own driveway. Amen. But it's not for me. I mean, I, again, some people love that and love the game day atmosphere and, and that sort of thing. Maybe I did when I was younger, but I've kind of. Amen. But the point I'm trying to make is, you know, a two hour movie, a three other, a three hour ball game, other things we'll go to, spend money on, wait in line for, etc. But now it's like, you know. Um, oh, it's raining. You know, we'll go to church next week. You know, it's it's cold. Um, you know, they they keep it too hot in the sanctuary. You know, last Alabama game I went to, we were up in the stands on the side where the sun beats down on you. You know what I'm saying? 
<laughs> Amen. Which, praise God, I, I was good. My family's like trying to, you know, hunt some sunscreen. Amen. Okay. But notice now, nobody up there was like, I can't believe they're going to play another quarter. It's so hot up here, you know. But in church, you know, it's like, you know, we pastor goes more than 30 minutes. What's he thinking, you know? And I'm not saying you, but I'm just, I'm trying to point out what Jesus is saying here. And so discipleship, again, is an uncommon commitment. And if you haven't figured this out by now, let me go ahead and tell you, everything God wants to do in your life and through your life begins with showing up. It begins with showing up. And it may be too much for any of us to bear if we were to see how much we've missed out on because we didn't show up. Because we were somewhere else doing something else when Father was trying to work in our lives. Amen. Amen. Now, I am, I'm getting better about and being more consistent in, in exercising. And my confession is that I love to exercise. It's, it's, a, it's a great blessing and part of my life, okay? But sometimes my flesh tries to talk me out of it and, uh, and tell me to put it off, okay? And I'm, not, I'm just not trying to be too personal about this. I'm just trying to make a point, though, and maybe you can relate to this, all right? Not every time that I've went to exercise, I've been excited about it, but I've never regretted it after I did. I've never said, man, I can't believe what in the world I go at. No, man, I'm like, yeah, baby, beasted resistance today, man. You know, again, you're, 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 you know, and so it's the same, right? Think about it, right? It's the same. Maybe you've had a long day. Maybe, maybe you were tired and it, and it took some extra oomph. You know, to, to, to get down here uh, this evening, our, our brothers in, in, in Kenya that, you know, was it three in the morning over there, you know, watching these classes with us, you know, you're thinking, man, I need to get some sleep tonight. It, it, but, but notice now, right, you're here, uncommon commitment, followed through, pushed past the comfort zone. I guarantee you when you're finished tonight, you're not going to be disappointed that you came. You, you follow what I'm saying? Okay. All right. Now, everything God wants to do in your life and through your life begins with showing up. And the devil knows that. This is why he fights you so hard to try to get you uh, from showing up and, and the commitment that's required to actually uh, come and show up and do what it is that God has called us to do. All right. John four twenty three. It says, But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the father's seeking, Father is seeking such to worship Him. Now, notice here, there is obviously a difference between a worshiper and a true worshiper, right? Just like the Bible talks about the difference between genuine faith and feigned faith. F-E-I-G-N-E-D, feigned faith. We might, we might call it fake or pretend faith. Okay. Um, when Paul commended Timothy for his unfeigned, his genuine faith. Okay. So notice now we're, we could build on this more and more. We, the, the church here at Heritage, we begin about six blocks behind me in my cabinet shop. My wife and I had a cabinet business back over there. And um, so, you know, we're in a cabinet shop, and the, my kids were little. They were in school. And, you know, people would kind of take shots at us. It's okay. I mean, I'm not asking you to feel sorry for me. It's just some of it I kind of thought was funny. You know, like some people said we were the Warehouse Christian Center. 
you know, because we, we met in a, <laughs> in a cabinet shop warehouse. But that's okay. Amen. We Praise God. It was nice in there. They should have come and seen, right? Um, but th this one right here kind of sticks out to me. Um, a kid took a shot at Bethany and asked her, she said, uh, asked Bethany, she said, do you think y'all will ever be a real church? Do you think y'all will ever be a real church? Of course, Bethany came home. She was daddy. She asked me, do you, do, do you think we'll ever be a real church? I said, honey, go tell her I sure hope so. I want to be a real church. You understand what I mean by that? I want to be a real one. I'm not, not interested in, in fake, phony, uh, facade. There's enough of that. There's enough of that. There's a lot of people listening to me right now. You got turned off at a, at a younger point in your life because of the fake and the phony and the facade. Uh, people who had, you know, what the, what the young lady who said that to my daughter meant was, will you ever have a, a building with a steeple on the roof, right? You know, will you ever, that to, to her was what a real church was. But a real church is not what the building looks like. It's what the people who are the church are living out and doing uh, in portraying in, um, in their daily lives, okay? So real, the difference between a true worshiper uh, versus one who is not a genuine worshiper, one who draws near to God with, their, with, with the words of their mouth, but their hearts are far from him, um, something that's genuine, something that's real, okay? So this leads us into this idea of four levels of commitment, okay? Four levels of commitment. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you just to, as always, just stay with me and, and help me, uh, you know, give me the time to explain some of these. Because at first, they're going to maybe all seem to be or mean the same thing to you. But, but here are, I'll put them up on the screen. Um, here are the, um, the four levels of commitment, right? The first one is a believer, and I, I need to clarify that, actually, um, because what we're, what we're talking about here is a believer in as opposed to a believer on. A believer in versus a believer on. All right? So let me show you what I mean from the Scriptures. In John chapter 2 and verse number 23, we'll look at 23, 24, 25. Now, when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them. Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Okay? Now, this first level of commitment, a believer in Jesus. Now, I'll explain in just a moment the difference between a believer in and a believer on. But a believer in Jesus, remember what the Bible says in the book of James, that the devils believe there is a God and they tremble. So this idea that, yeah, I believe in Jesus, that's, that's important. Amen. But, you know, you can believe in Jesus from the perspective of, you know, what year is it? You know, time counted up to his birth and started over again. Um, not A.D. doesn't stand for after death. It's Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. This is 2023, the year of our Lord. Amen. So, you know, believing in Jesus 
could simply mean believing that a man named Jesus lived on planet Earth. And there is more historical proof that there was a man named Jesus lived on this Earth than there is Napoleon lived on this Earth or whatever, okay? So what we've got here is a group of people who saw Jesus doing things that they've never seen anybody else do, and it piqued their curiosity, and they were excited, uh, and, and they came to him uh, wanting to be with him, wanting to follow him, wanting to be a disciple of his. But Jesus knew that their commitment was very shallow, and because of that, he, the Bible says he did not commit himself to them because he knew what was in them. He knew that they were not ready to make the commitment necessary to be his disciple. Okay? Now, if that bothers some of you, let me just first of all add this to what we're saying now. All right? When Jesus was on this earth as a man, he was operating under a very precise and very brief timeline. He had to wait until he was 30 because he was born of a virgin, but he was born under the law. And as one born under the law, he had to wait until he was 30 years old to fulfill the law to begin his earthly ministry. And he's going to be crucified at 33. So we've got a three-year window. And when you think about what Jesus did in three years, that's still turning the world upside down to this day. It is nothing short of amazing and miraculous and I, I think even further confirmation that He is exactly who He said He was. He is the eternal Son of God, our Messiah, our Savior, our Redeemer. So when people came to Jesus wanting to be His follower but did not have the commitment level necessary to be His follower, He did not commit Himself to them because He was on the clock. Okay? Well, that's reversed now. Jesus has crossed over into eternity. Obviously, there's coming a day when his father's going to tap him on the leg and tell him to come get us, okay? But right now, you and me, we're on the clock. We're now the ones with a limited span, right? If we're going to do anything for God, we've got to get it done. Are you following me? Okay. So I don't want you to think, well, you know, because I'm not, you know, some super serious committed person right now. Uh, I hope that you will be challenged and be motivated to deepen and strengthen your commitment to the things of God. And I think by your presence in this room tonight, that's a pretty good sign that you are. Okay. But the, the point I'm trying to make, I don't want you to hear this and think, well, maybe Jesus didn't commit himself to me. No, he's fully committed to you. Right. But the difference is that um, he's not on the clock now so much as you and I are. Okay, you still with me? Now, this is a classic example of what I call philo for Jesus, but no agape. And philo is the word translated in our English word love, but it has more to do with feelings. It has to do with fond, affectionate feelings that you have towards another person. Agape is the word translated in our English language love, and it has to do with respect. It has to do with love as an act of your will. It has to do with, 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 with loving maybe despite uh, negative feelings or, or no feelings at all. It's just something you do out of, out of genuine respect in your heart. And so there are a lot of people who get stirred up emotionally about the things of God and, and, and the feelings and, and this sort of thing, philo, feelings, but no agape. They don't respect Jesus enough to listen to him and to do what he says. And I'm going to show you in a minute in, in John 8, that you know, that's exactly what happened to these people who uh, believed again in Jesus, uh, 
But then when Jesus asked for a deeper commitment from them, they, uh, they told him no. Okay? So Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew they were not ready to make the commitment necessary to be his um, disciples. Okay? Um, we see this same uh, example. Let's go ahead and go there. John 8, 30 and 31. And then I'll tell you the difference between believing on and believing in. John 8, 30 and 31, it says, As he spoke these words, Jesus is in the temple again now. He spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Okay? Now, let's rewind back to, I think it was class number two. We talked about the difference between learning about someone, learning from someone, versus learning of someone. And the of requires the, uh, the, the intimate, one-on-one -on -one connection with that person. And we used Abraham, uh, Abraham Lincoln as an example. Okay, You can learn about him from history books. You can learn from him because there's a lot that he did and things that he wrote that we could study and, and learn life lessons from uh, you know, a great leader in our country. But you can't learn of him um, because the only way to learn of him is to have that personal contact, that personal connection, that one-on-one -on -one connection, intimate connection with him. Are you following me? So learning... Uh, about and learning from can only carry you so far. All right. Now, in that same way, prepositions. Believing in versus believing on. Believing in versus believing on. See, you can believe in Jesus but not believe on Him. I used to read this and it confused me. I would read that they believed in Him and I thought that meant they got saved. You follow me? That, these people did not get saved, okay? They didn't receive salvation, and I hope maybe later they did. But in this encounter, John 2, John 8, these men and women did not get saved, all right? They believed in him. You have to ask yourself a, a really important question. What exactly did they believe about him, all right? So believing on Jesus to receive salvation means, first of all, believing that he is the Son of God, Amen? And believing that God has raised him from the dead. So some very specific things that you believe on uh, as opposed to just a more general, uh, almost neutral, if you will, uh, believing in Jesus. All right? So let me, let me see if I can explain it this way. You can believe in a parachute's ability to get you out of a crashing plane safely to the ground without ever even getting on an airplane, much less jumping out of one with a parachute strapped to your back. Believing in the parachute's ability is one thing. Believing on it means you've actually invested your life and trusted your life into that canopy and those lines that are attached now to your body. That's the difference between believing in and believing on. Yes? Let me give you a little longer version, all right? A man stretches a cable across Niagara Falls. He walks across it. Um, then he comes back. Then he puts on a blindfold and he walks across and he comes back. Then he uh, takes a bicycle and he rides across and he comes back. Okay? If somebody was to ask you, do you believe that man can ride that bicycle across Niagara Falls on that tightrope? Anybody that watched him do it would say yes. Okay? That's believing in him. Now, believing on him would be you getting on the handlebars of that bicycle and going across with him. Okay? 
You follow me? See, that, that, that's, a, that's, a whole other, that's a whole different thing right there. Because when you believe on, you have skin in the game, so to speak. You've actually put something uh, on the line. And a lot of people want to believe in Jesus, but not believe on him. So when we talk about this first level of commitment, being a believer in, we see in John 2 and John 8, where people believed in, but they weren't willing to make the necessary commitment. So you're committed if you go climb on that bicycle with that man. Are you, are you hearing me? I mean, you, you, you're, you're all in. Amen. Okay. All right. Now, the next level of uh, commitment, uh, four levels of commitment. Let's go back to it here on the screen. So you got uh, believer, and now we're going to talk a little bit about follower. A follower. Okay. And so, um, amen. Let me get back down here to, um, to my notes. And so we see this um, in John, the sixth chapter, and verse number 66. And John chapter 6 is a, is a long uh, and awesome chapter in the Gospel of John. But I'll just give you one verse, and then we'll kind of talk about what led up to this statement. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him. Or I think one translation says, followed him no more. Okay, followed him no more. Now, when I said I want you to bear with me on this, and I can put that back up on the screen for those watching online. When I said I want you to bear with me on this, I want you to hear the spirit of this rather than the letter, right? Because I consider myself a believer in Jesus. I consider myself a believer on Jesus. I consider myself a follower of Jesus, okay? And, and these words are, are often used interchangeably with one another, uh, and they mean different things to different people. And so, again, I'm asking you to see them within the context of, of where we find them in the Scriptures. And I think once we work our way through all four of them, what I want you to see, what I believe you're going to see, is that the difference between each one is a level of commitment. Okay? So someone who believed in Jesus, amen, they, they had some level of commitment to him, but not enough necessarily to, uh, to follow him out into the countryside, take a day off work, find a babysitter, or bring the kids along, right, and actually sit there and listen to him teach for six hours. You, are, you are you following me? Are you understanding what I'm saying? Okay. So you've got a commitment of somebody who's like, wow, Jesus, I've never seen anybody do what you've done. I've never heard anybody speak like you speak. I mean, you are, you are all that in a bag of chips. I mean, you're just amazing, right? And Jesus says, well, look, great. Um, listen, tomorrow we're going we're gonna to be over here by the side of the Sea of Galilee, and a bunch of people are coming. We're going to be praying for the sick. We're going to be teaching. It's going it's to be a great time. Why don't you come? It's like, well, you know, Jesus, it's, uh, I got things. So you see. So now here we see that from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. So what's happening here? Jesus explains to them that unless they eat his flesh and drink his blood, they can have no part uh, with him. And the people, the Bible says, were offended at this. And there were people who had been following Jesus and had even, you know, begin to cross over into that discipleship level commitment uh, to Jesus, but once he said something that they didn't understand or that they didn't agree with, they bolted. They, they said, you know what, this, this is too much. 
my family told me this man was a quack. I can't believe I've, you know, devoted, you know, a couple of weeks to, to, to listening to him. Um, this is too much. It's a hard saying. Uh, I, think, I think I'm just going to, you know, pack it in and go, and go back to whatever I was doing before. Okay. I have seen that. Listen to me. I have seen that so many times over the years. It is, it is um, thank God for the joy of the Lord, because if it wasn't for the joy of the Lord, it, it, it would really, really bother me, concern me. My brother, and it was a, my brother Matthew, my older brother, he leads the worship here. And, and um, it, I won't go into the whole story, but it was, again, somebody very close to us that had recently uh, had some major issues in their life. And he wasn't being a smart aleck. He wasn't being condescending. He wasn't being judgmental. Tears streaming down his face. He looks at me and he says, you know, we've seen a lot of people almost make it. And, I, you know, I don't like, I don't, amen. He, again, that's hard to say, but the reality of it is, and listen, you, how many of you in here, you've seen a lot of people almost make it, right? Um, almost make it. And these people almost made it. But they became offended at Jesus, and, and they didn't understand what he was saying and what he meant. They should have, because he's drinking blood and eating flesh is covenant speak. Um, and we'll talk about covenant in here, and we'll get into this in greater detail. But it would be like when you were a kid, if you ever said something like, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, when you're making a promise to somebody, don't say that craziness, okay? I'm just saying... Um, when they would enter into a legitimate blood covenant with someone else to express the severity of what they would do if that covenant was broken by them, they would literally say things like, I am so seriously committed to you for the rest of my life that if I have to kill one of my children and feed them to your children to keep them alive, I will do it. They would say things that, that drastic of a commitment. And so when Jesus stands there and says, my blood is drink indeed and my flesh is meat indeed, and unless you partake, what is he saying? He's saying, y'all all say that, but my Father in heaven is literally going to offer my body up for you and your children. See, that's what he was saying. He's talking about partaking, entering in, communion. Again, there's a lot there. But they became offended at it. And they walk with him or they followed him no more. So the follower was willing to, to do more uh, and put forth more effort than just someone who, a casual observer who believed in him. Now we, we see uh, the follower. And so, listen, pe people tend to bounce around between these categories because of their wavering commitment. Um, I'm sure nobody in this room and nobody listening to me right now online, but you probably know somebody who has been really, really committed to Jesus at some point in the past in their life, and that commitment kind of waned, and then it went back, and it was kind of back and forth. Amen? Well, listen, what, what he's doing with us is, is he's wanting to take us off of this up and down highs and lows to this steady just growth and development. And that's what the Word of God and discipleship and the Holy Spirit and, and, and a commitment because, see, listen, there's going to be opportunities for you to, to pull back. Uh, just don't take them. Amen. There's going to be opportunities for you to quit. Just don't take them. Amen. Amen. 
And, and that'll level out some of this up and down, back and forth, on fire, you know, lukewarm, cold as ice, back and forth kind of stuff. Amen. So people tend to bounce around between categories, especially when they're, uh, you know, spiritually immature, as, spiritually, as spiritual babies, as spiritual children. Uh, but again, just in the case of a, of a natural, mature adult, they, there, there tends to be more consistency in their, in their lives and in their commitments. And that's what Father God is wanting to develop in us where He and our walk with Him is concerned. All right. Now, let's go back to John 8. John 8. Um, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So a disciple. Um, verse number 30 again. As He spoke these words, many believed in Him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now a lot of people stop reading right here. They think this story had a happy ending. It did not. Listen to what these people say. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say... You will be made free. Anybody ever read that part about it? You know, we hear the truth will make you free, man. All right, praise God. We, leave, we tend to leave off the part above it, and we tend to leave off the part beneath it. So these people were offended. They basically had this attitude. Jesus, who do you think you are suggesting we even need to be made free? How dare you suggest that we're in bondage and, and have need of freedom we're Abraham's descendants. Don't you know who we are? Nose in the air. Don't you know who we are? We've never been in bondage to anyone. So you have no business even offering freedom to us because we don't need it. We're not buying what you're selling, Jesus, was basically the attitude that they had. Jesus, unfazed by this, verse 34, he answered them, most assuredly, most assuredly, anytime you see most assuredly in the scriptures, He's fixing to say something. Jesus is about to say something that's, that's going to seem so extreme it's not true, but it's true, okay? Most surely I say to you, the works that I do, you'll do also and even greater works because I go to my Father, right? So in that same vein, most surely I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free by making you a son, you shall be free indeed. You shall be free indeed. So notice what Jesus is, is trying to do here. He's trying to, to um, draw them into a commitment. All right? So this word abide, this word abide in the word. Let's, let's go back to verse 31 and 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So here we have one of the great hallmarks, uh, one of the great distinguishing characteristics of a disciple. A disciple is someone who continues in the Word, who abides in the Word of God. And that, that certainly includes abiding with your nose in it, where you study it, and you meditate it, and you memorize it, and you confess it. But it's also someone who abides in the Word by walking it out and putting it into practice in their daily lives. And Jesus says, because again, that's where the experiential knowledge comes, right? Remember Manthano, remember disciple. Disciple's one who puts forth an intense effort to learn by experience. Yes, you still with me? 
So Jesus is saying, when you know the truth and have experienced the truth working in your life, that truth will make you free. That truth will make you free. So when he says and invites them, let me say it another way. When he invites them to abide or he invites them to continue, he is speaking of a greater commitment than this group had currently made and were obviously willing to make. Do you see this? I know there's a lot here. We, we could talk and we will come back to these verses and talk about them some more in, in, in future classes. But I'm trying to get you to see this one part right here. Jesus, let me see if I can say it this way. Jesus saw a crack in the door. He, he, um, there were people who had previously not even looked his way a single time, but because, and if, a lot's happening in John the eighth chapter. Remember the woman caught in the act of adultery and they're trying to publicly embarrass him. And Jesus stands up to the religious bullies and he shows mercy and compassion to the woman. And it impressed the people. They gave him credit for doing something they'd never seen anybody else do. They, they, he had their attention he, he, he had captured uh, their, their imagination there uh, for a few moments. And so that's what I mean by Jesus saw a crack in the door. So when he saw a crack in the door, notice what he invited them to do. He invited them to make another level of commitment. He invited them to step up, if you will, beyond just someone who believed in him, but someone who actually would, would abide in what he's saying and teaching uh, until the point that they begin to experience the results of it in their own lives. Think about it for a moment. What's the difference between someone who starts a project and someone who sees a project all the way through to the end? The biggest difference between the starter and the one who starts and finishes is commitment. Am I right about it? All right, now. Here is another related hallmark to the commitment level of a disciple, Luke 14 and 27. Jesus said, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That's Luke 14 and 27. Now, first of all, Jesus is not saying... I sometimes struggle to, to communicate this accurately, and so I'm, Lord's, Lord's help me, Holy Spirit's helping me, okay? Years ago, um, I, I remember the coach's name, the quarterback's name. It, it, it doesn't matter. He was, the, he was a starting quarterback at the University of Florida, and he got in some trouble, and um, he got put off the team, okay? And a reporter asked the coach, they said, um, uh, about, you know, how, how do you feel about um, putting so-and-so off the team? And this was the answer that he gave. He says, oh, I didn't put him off the team. I thought he wasn't playing. Oh, he's not playing. He's not on the team anymore. Well, then you put him off the team. He said, I didn't put him off the team. He disqualified himself. You see the difference there? I thought it was a brilliant answer. Because what he's saying, he's like, you can't do what this young man did and be on the team. And so this, man this young man chose to do this, knowing that if he did this, he wouldn't be on the team anymore. So it wasn't the coach who gave him the boot, right? It was the player who disqualified himself. So I want you to understand this passage from that same perspective. 
Jesus isn't saying that if you don't do this, then I ain't going to give you the time of day. No, that's, that's not what he's saying. He's saying in order to be a disciple, there is something that you must do to qualify. And in order to qualify as a disciple, it involves you bearing your cross. And, of course, another place he says we pick it up daily. That is something we do daily. Okay? Now, bearing your cross, what does this mean? And boy, the devil gets in here with so many people and so, so many religious lies. And we come up with all these crazy notions about what it means to bear our cross and the suffering this and the that and the so forth and so on. Don't overthink it. Don't look so deep to try to find a meaning that you miss the obvious one. Bearing your cross means the effort and sacrifice you must make to fulfill your God-given person, uh, God-given purpose and destiny. I'll say it again. Bearing your cross means the effort and sacrifice you must make to fulfill your God-given purpose and destiny. And really, there's a lot of important words there, but one of the most important ones is your, your God-given purpose and destiny. You follow me? Your cross represents the things that are your responsibility. Your cross represents the things that you must do. Amen. Things that Jesus cannot do for you. Amen. He has already done a whole lot for you and me. And he has stuck his neck in, not just stuck it out for you, he stuck it in the yoke. But he's not going to grab you and drag you and force you into that yoke with him. It's not who he is. He's the great shepherd. He's not the great cowboy. He's not going to drive you. He's going to lead you. And if you don't follow him, then you're not going to make much progress, if any at all, in your life. You'll keep living like somebody who doesn't have a covenant. Keep living like somebody who doesn't have the life of God. Keep living like somebody who's an outsider that's actually an insider. Okay? So when we talk about your cross, we're talking about... Um, your responsibility, things that you must do. Remember what he said. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, you can choose, listen to me now, you can choose the easy yoke and light burden that is, um, some reason, get a little malfunction here on the screen. There we go. You can choose the easy yoke and light burden Jesus is offering or the hard yoke and heavy burden the devil has for you. But we can't confuse the two. And by no means should you ever let the devil deceive you into thinking the cross Jesus bore for you is the one you now have to bear. I want to make that matter of fact. Let, praise God. Thank you. I'm getting too big of a hurry here. Let's settle down. All right. Before you can ever fully understand your cross to carry, you got to understand the one that's carried for you. Uh, could you redefine bearing your cross one more time? Because I couldn't get it together. Amen. So your cross represents the things that are your responsibility, the things that you must do. Okay? For example, the time and effort that you have put into being here, being engaged while you're here, standing up to get my attention so I could repeat a point. Amen. Because you want to know what it is. You want to understand it. All of those things are, are your responsibility. They're things that, that you have to put forth effort and, and, and engage in. You could be somewhere asleep right now. You could be somewhere sucking the cream out of cream-filled donuts right now. You could, be, you, could be some, right, you could be somewhere doing anything what you're doing right now. Are you, are you understand what I'm saying? But this is something you have chosen to do. Nobody made you do this. 
Nobody forced you to do this. I pray that the Holy Spirit was prompting you, compelling you. You chose to do it. You, you humbled yourself. You came. You submitted, right? Think about, let's go to Jesus' cross. Maybe this will help you see it a little, little better, okay? The cross that was his to bear. Jesus didn't say, you've got to take up my cross. He said, you've got to take up your cross. There's a difference between your responsibility, what you have to do to fulfill your purpose and destiny, compared to what Jesus had to do to fulfill his purpose and destiny. To fulfill his purpose and destiny, he literally took a wooden cross, drug it as far as he could till somebody had to help him after he'd been beaten almost to death with organs hanging out of his body, stripped naked and nailed to it. That was his cross to bear. That is not your cross to bear. That's the cross he bore for you. And if you're not careful, the devil will try to bait and switch you and he'll try to convince you that your cross to bear is the same one Jesus has carried and bore for you. I've heard people say this, you know, well, you know, I wasn't around when my children were younger and so wayward children are now my cross to bear. No, they're not. No, they're not. Well, you know, Pastor Mark, I, I abused my body when I was, when I was younger, and I, I did a bunch of stuff I shouldn't do, and I've got this problem, I've got this issue. But, you know, that's just my cross to bear. No, it's not. Jesus bore your pain. He bore your sickness. He bore your, your iniquity, your willful uh, and blatant disobedience to the, to the laws and the commands of God. Jesus bore all of that for you. He bore generational curses for you. He, he bore poverty for you. Well, you know, Pastor, I, uh, I, I, I never came for much, and poverty's my cross to bear. No, it's not. Jesus was rich, financially rich. He became financially poor so that we could become financially rich. It's in the Bible. Read it. Read it. Don't. You, amen. I'm not here teaching that tonight. I'm getting stirred up, okay? So, but see, we, we think all of we. If you're not careful, the devil will have you trying to bear the cross Jesus has already bore for you and never understanding what your responsibilities are, what you have to do. Amen? God has a purpose for you. He has a destiny for you. He put gifts and callings in you. He has assignments for you. He has businesses for you to start and run, churches for you to plant, uh, orphanages for you to build, uh, people for you to reach, all kinds of things that, that He's put in you in terms of, of potential and ability and, and gifts and talents and callings. But again, until unless we're willing... Unless we're willing to submit ourselves to the discipleship process and, and, and allow Jesus through the Holy Spirit and the Holy Word of God to teach us and to train us and to develop us, these are things that, that we will never see, never experience, never develop. I'm speaking to people right now. you got books inside of you to write. You, there's things that you, you're called to do, things that you're good at. You came out of your mama's womb good at it. It's because God graced you with that ability. God gifted you with that. Some of you in here love math. Some of you can't stand it. Some of you in here love details. Others, and if you had to be responsible for details every day of your life, uh, managing accounts and all this other stuff, it, again, we're, we're different. We're diverse. God made us this way. Amen. But there's something that you and I have to do is as far as cooperating with God, as far as uh, humbling ourselves and allowing Him to teach us and listening to Him and stop rebelling against Him and stop disagreeing with Him. All of these are the things that are our cross to bear. And it's a, it's, it's his, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. We, we rolled up, it's been a bunch of years ago, we rolled up at camp one year and there was a, another group that was unloading uh, their stuff. And we, we, we were unloading, you know, the kids were helping. Our kids were helping. We don't, I mean, you don't have to say, hey, get over here and help. No, I mean, I, we, 
we put the van in park, man. They start opening up, getting stuff, getting other people's stuff. The boys usually help the girls with their heavy suitcases. I mean, it's just, it's just a beautiful thing. You know, it's, I'm not sitting there going, get out, you know, you know, well, that pastor was doing that, man. He was like yelling and how you ever get there, get the lead out. We got you, you know, and I'm like, Oh Jesus, help us father. Bullhorn. Yeah, bullhorn. Hey, over there, you know. And um, you know, I'm trying to like, okay, we got to settle this cat down, you know. And um, I'm, you know, and he's like, uh, Pastor, you got to be hard on these kids these days, you know. You got, he's talking about hard. You got to be hard. And I said, really? I said, man. I said, it seemed like Jesus said something about his yoke was easy, and his burden is light, you know. Now, I understand that we have to have discipline, we have to have order. I'm not trying to talk about both sides of my mouth here, but I'm, but I'm just I'm trying to show you the difference, right? It's not, it's not tight. See, religion wants to try to tighten the screws on you. Religion wants to try to shame you and guilt you and condemn you and threaten you. And, and that's not who Jesus is. Jesus came to set you free from all of that. And, and he's like, look, I've got something better for you. Come to me, right? But if, if you choose to refuse... If you choose to say no, right? Uh, but remember, he can only take you as far as your trust in him will allow. We can circle back around all that. Um, so, ah, praise God. So part of our responsibility is what we're doing right now. We've got to, we've got to diligently seek the Lord. We've got to seek out uh, or be led to, I guess would be a better way of saying it, um, other people, like-minded people, precious faith, people to fellowship with. Um, there's places that... For some of you, part of your cross to bear is there are places you don't need to go anymore Amen. until the Lord tells you to go there again, right? And that, then you go in there not to be influenced, but to, to influence, uh, amen. And so we just go on and on with that. But just the simple, the simple part of it is our cross to bear is, is what the commitment that we make to the responsibilities that we have to cooperate together with the risen Son of God, the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God, Father of Spirits, right, our Heavenly Father, as He develops and gently and methodically places the demand of the potential that He's put within us so that we can walk in the things that He's created us to walk in. Amen. So if you've made mistakes, the consequences of those mistakes are not your cross to bear. Jesus bore the consequences of your mistakes for you so that you could go free, so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be restored, so that you could be healed, so that you could be um, strong and healthy and wise and prosperous. Oh, Pastor Mark, you don't know how much money I've squandered. Listen, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, all right? But just because you've squandered money and haven't been good with money in the past, that doesn't mean that you, you have to live in poverty and not be good managing money and a good steward of, of financial resources in the days ahead. Amen. Praise God. I just looked at the clock. almost wish I hadn't. Yes. Which one? Um, so I don't, I, I wasn't reading anything right there. Um, I don't mind showing you the notes that I put. Don't overthink this. 
Bearing your cross means the effort and sacrifice you must make to fulfill your God-given purpose and destiny. Your cross represents the things that are your responsibility, the things that you must do. That's all I got written, okay? But now keep in mind, we're recording this, videoing this, archiving this. Yeah, so, okay, amen, yeah. Well, amen, yes. Praise God. All right, yes, sir, in the back. Pam, do you have a gold star to hand him? Because that's exactly <laughs> it, brother. You, you nailed it. It, it. It's it, right? Because if you do not continue in the Word, you can't be His disciple. If you, but if you continue in the Word, you're my disciple indeed. So a huge part of our cross to bear. And, but again, see, if we're thinking misery and suffering and agony and all these other things, well then, you know, we're, we're missing... You know, it requires a commitment on our part to spend time in, in the Word and to study the Word and to labor in the Word and, and these things. Praise God. Four levels of commitment. We didn't even make it there tonight. Okay. So the fourth one, and I'll just touch on it briefly. The fourth one is Christian. Christian. Okay. And um, disciple. Disciple. I apologize. Disciple. Okay. I didn't go back to that fancy little add-on thing, did I? I'm sorry. Okay. I don't have time to do this justice, but let me, let me just cut to the chase. Verse 26. Okay. So we're in Acts 11 and verse 26. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it, was, so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called, I like to say it this way to emphasize it, Christians. In Antioch. Okay. So what does Christian mean? It means Christ-like. Okay. A lot of people call themselves Christian. I'm not, again, not trying to split hairs or be offensive. A lot of people call themselves a Christian without any fully understanding what the word means. And when these people were first called Christians, Christians, it was a derogatory term. It was one the world gave them, right? Man, these people studying and growing, they're acting and talking just like Christ now, these Christ-like, these Christians, okay? But what had happened? What had happened? Well, a bunch of folks got born again in Antioch, and leaders went and began to teach them, and they developed a hunger for the things of God and for the Word of God and committed themselves, committed themselves to the discipleship process. And we see that a year into this, they are... So much like Jesus. Let me say it another way. Christ has become so much, Jesus has become so much assimilated into them that outsiders are calling them Christ-like. Do you, do you see this? Okay. Amen. I, God is good. Y'all understand that we have service in there in 15 minutes, so that's why I have to kind of shut this down at 645. All right, are you getting anything out of this tonight? Yes. We covered a lot of ground tonight. A lot of ground tonight. Okay, amen. Okay. All right. So uh, at this rate, we're not going to cover half the material, but the Lord will help us. Amen. Um, in my notes, I'm not even at class three yet, and we're, this was class four, so but we'll get there. Praise God. God will help us. Father, we love you. Thank you for life and peace. Let everything we touch prosper for your glory. I pray, Father, that you reveal yourself to these men and women in real and meaningful, life-changing ways. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy, your kindness to us. Thank you for the 
disciples in this room, Father, who have made a commitment. It's, a, it's an uncommon commitment. And Lord, they've made it and they're holding true to it. And I thank you that you're working in their lives in, in amazing ways in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, your love. Thank you for being here. Good things coming. Sign in if you didn't sign in. And, uh, and we love you.